Lord, your word tells us that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And so, Father, we stand before you as people who desire to hear from you. God, as you have done this great work of salvation within our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us and train us once more in what is necessary to live a life that is well-pleasing to you. And so, Father, in order to achieve that purpose, we just open our hearts before you, asking that you would instruct us, God. We just ask these things, Lord, to your glory in Jesus' name. Name. Amen. Won't you turn and greet one another? Greetings. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 24. We look at these kings of the Old Testament and we see areas where they did well and we see areas where they did fail. It's as they were obedient to the Lord and sought after the Lord that God blessed them, God fought for them, God worked with them. But as they forsook the Lord, the Lord forsook them and allowed their enemies to get the better of them as we see both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, as they forsook God, they suffered the consequences of it. Jesus said, it was in a lesson he was given, a specific lesson he was given in John chapter 13, but really it applies to every aspect of the word of God. He says, blessed are you if you do these things. And what God is telling us, as we live a life that is right before him and obedient to what he has called us to do, if if we do those things that we know to be right to do, God will bless us. If we don't, God will curse us. But keep in mind what a curse is. A curse is just a lack of God's blessings within our lives. Now this morning we were looking at, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, and we saw the things that were necessary. Peter made it very clear that we have to have that foundation of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. But then he encouraged us, or obedience, to build upon that faith, to build a life that is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, going back to Second Chronicles, we see these kings keeping in mind that Israel, the nation Israel, has been divided. There's 12 tribes of Israel, but now they were all unified under King David and King Solomon, but now there's been a split. There's the northern kingdom, which is 10 tribes, and there's the southern kingdom, which is two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom, it's never been said that there was a king that did what was right in the sight of God. They were all evil, and the northern kingdom was constantly in a state of idolatry. There's the southern kingdom, and we see, well, so far, even the best kings, the one who have been described as doing right in the sight of God, they had their shortcomings as well, because none of us is perfect, and God doesn't expect that. But some, some did have greater failings than others. Well, following along the lines of descendants of King David, because King David had been promised to always have an heir seated upon the throne, we saw a breach last week. Now we know that promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But last week we saw where Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, 
commandeered the crown of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Jezebel was the wife of a northern king, Ahab, but they had given their daughter to seal a treaty with the southern king, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat compromised. He allowed this woman, Athaliah, to come in and to get the better of the kingdom. Matter of fact, even to seize the kingdom. She gained entrance to the throne because Jehoshaphat, he compromised because of a lack of trust in the Lord. Because the northern kingdom was pagan at its very core, they didn't worship the Lord. And Jehoshaphat knew this, but he was concerned about Syria. Syria had come upon the scene. They were becoming a national power. He was worried about Syria coming and conquering him. So instead of trusting in God, he turned to Ahab, the northern kingdom. And this was an unholy alliance. And we saw the lesson that we're told in Corinthians not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And as he was, Jehoshaphat, this southern king, it was to his detriment. And we saw the evilness of this woman, Athaliah, and that she was able to gain the throne mostly because she killed off her own grandchildren. She was willing to do that for the purpose of power. Now, she did reign in the southern kingdom for six years, but the will of God is never to be denied. And she was contrary to the will of God. And we saw her eventual end in Second Chronicles. We saw this last week, verse 23, verse 15. So they seized her, and she went by the way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house, and they killed her there. So again... God made this promise to King David, and God is going to keep his promises. And again, we know that they are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was of the lineage of King David, who is actually the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But as far as the promises of God, it's that which King Jehoshaphat should have depended upon because he was well aware of the promises that were made to King David. And so when you have an enemy at your door, when you have a situation that is bigger than yourself, what is it that you depend upon? Do you depend upon the word of God and the promises that God has given us? Or is it what you're able to see, what you're able to do, an alliance trying to shore up your situation, whatever it might be? God's promises are rich. God's promises are true. God's promises are for us this day that we would grasp onto. Whatever it is that you may be, if there's somebody here concerned about a situation in this coming week, don't step out of God's bounds. Stay within faith in God and what God wants to do. Don't go off in a direction that is contrary to God in which he has not told you to go, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it will come to pass, and as I have promised, so it shall stand. Remember, we have the Lord, and we're told this in Isaiah as well, He inhabits eternity. As I've said so many times before, this means that God is living right now in your future. And what that tells us is, is that whatever it is that's going on next week, next month, whatever it might be, whatever that may be, that situation that's been causing you stress, God's already there, God's already dealing with it. Remember Jacob? Jacob's coming back home. 
And now he's got family, he's got two wives, and he's got quite a few children. And he's coming back, but he knows his brother Esau is there. And Esau had told him, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. But he can't go back because his father Laban is is after him. So he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard spot. And so he's headed south. I don't know exactly where his mind is until he is told that Esau's coming and he's got 400 guys with him. And so Jacob is real concerned. So he devises a plan because Jacob wasn't real good on depending upon God. He was always trying to manipulate the situation. And so what he did was there was a river and he set his wife on Esau's, if you will, side of the river. And he put one wife here with all of her children and another wife over there with all of her children and their maids and all of that. And he camped on the other side of the river. And what his plan was, when Esau comes and attacks, if he attacks this wife and her children, I'll get these and we'll run. Or vice versa. So he had a plan, but this isn't really dependency upon God. But what are we told? That night, he wrestled with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? God's met you and, and, and you know that whatever your plans are, they're not good and they're not right. And God's convicting you of that and you've got every excuse in the world that you need to work it out that way. Well, that's what he's, I'm sorry, uh, Jacob was doing, but God wrestled with him and he finally, when God was getting the best of him, he asked, bless me, bless me. And he was, as it was as if he was clinging to God. And the scripture said, so God knocked his hip out of joint. And you're thinking, that's got to hurt. I've never had my hip knocked out of joint, but I can just imagine that's got to hurt. How could that possibly be a blessing? Well, God inhabits eternity. God is already working in his future, even in this next day. And, And really, if you look at it, you realize that Jacob's plan, Jacob's plan ultimately was to run. Have you ever tried to run with a hip that was knocked out of joint? I haven't either, but I can imagine it's probably pretty difficult, if not impossible. And so really what he did is he thwarted Jacob's plan. Jacob can't run, so what has he got to do? He's got to depend upon God. And so the next day comes about, Esau's coming. Finally, Esau arrives. He goes and he meets Esau. Esau falls upon him and kisses him. And it's as if none of that enmity had ever existed. God had already gone before him and done that work. Now, how many times have you worried about something, whatever it might be? You've been contemplating this and you're concerned. You don't know how it's going to happen. And you just allowed it to consume your life. And then finally that day comes and it's like, wow, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. Well, as Christians, we are to depend upon the living God who inhabits eternity, but he inhabits eternity for our purposes. Well, for his purposes in us. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, for all of the promises of God. Now, it says all the promises of God in him, in Christ Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All of the promises of God are fulfilled to mankind through Jesus Christ. And so now going back to Chronicles and the southern kingdom, realizing, just realizing the promises that God had given Israel through Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And what God is saying is, I'll protect you and I'll go before you as a nation. I gave great promises to David to to have this heir upon the throne forever. So God's got this huge plan. And Jehoshaphat 
when he had the opportunity to be an example of trust in God, he failed. And because he failed, so many years that Judah had to suffer. And so tonight, we're entering into chapter 24, and a descendant of David, he's back on the throne, just as God said. Verses 1 and 2, Joash, Joash is now the king of Judah, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Joash did what is right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Joash's reign, you can divide it into two periods, and that's what we'll be doing here tonight. The first period is the first 20 years. During this time, the king was influenced to godliness by the high priest Jehoiada. Jehoiada, he was a man who who stood up against Athaliah when she was exercising evil across the land. This is a man who was a priest. He trusted in God. He kept Joash safe until Joash was ready, or at least the time was right for him to descend to the throne. And so Jehoiada, he seems to be a man who had his eyes upon the Lord, and he influenced the king, and then through the king, the nation as a whole, to godliness. And so during that time, things went well. When we seek after the Lord, when we trust in God, things go well in our life, but also in our sphere of influence. And so when things go well with the king, they go well with his life, but also the kingdom as a whole. But there's a problem here. Notice the qualifier in verse 2. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but it says here, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. It doesn't say they went well all of his days. They just went well all the days as he had that accountability of Jehoiada the priest. And that brings us to the second section of his life, that that last 20 years, things just didn't go so well. Why? He was so dependent upon Jehoiada, and it doesn't seem like he ever really developed this personal relationship with Christ. And we can be of that same way. You know, my kids did real well while they were living in my house, and they moved out, and they just went completely upside down. Well, did we ever really foster a relationship with God with them? Our kids are going to have our te- or their own testimony without a doubt, but that's got to be part of the teaching and training is their own relationship or whoever it is that you have influence over to train them up in trusting in God. And you know what that means? That means doing the hard things from time to time. It's stepping out out of the way and allowing them at times to suffer allowing them to go through trials and tribulations. Because how does God mature us? How does God teach us to trust? Is through the trials and tribulations that are in our lives. And we've got to step back from those whom God has given a stewardship over. And as far as Joash, it seems as his dependency was upon the priest Jehoiada. And so what happens when that person who you've depended upon dies? Well, after the death of Jehoiada, King Joash was influenced by pagan leaders. And so the twenty second 20 years of his reign were not so good. Verses 2 and 3. 
Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. So we see the influence of this man. You see multiple wives. Well, again, we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that the king was not to multiply wives. And so another aspect of a believer's relationship with God we see is the grace of God, the grace of God that overcomes the imperfections and the outright sin of man. Now, the grace of God, the grace of God is which was upon the Apostle Paul's life and wanting us to understand the magnitude of grace even upon those whom God uses. We have the testimony of the Apostle Paul in First Timothy chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. So Jehoiada, he's not a perfect guy. The priest, he's not perfect either. Joash, He's not perfect, but that's okay, because there was a time when Paul wasn't either. Not that Paul ever was, but there was a time when Paul was completely contrary to Christ. And it says in verse 14 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul understands the magnitude of his sin. And you should have an argument here with the Apostle Paul. You're not the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Why would you get into that argument? Because you know every sin that you have ever committed. You know the magnitude of the forgiveness that has been given to you and how God's grace has been great in your life. It says in verse 16, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first, speaking as an example, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern or example to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And now Paul, as he's contemplating his old life, his sin, and the magnitude of the grace of God, every once in a while when Paul's writing in his epistle, he, he, he just seems to become overwhelmed with what God has done in his life. And we have a, just a little doxology, a little, just a few words here of glorifying God. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just this short outburst of glorifying God based upon the salvation that he has received from him. And so going back to Second Chronicles, as far as Joash, we're going to see first what he did well. Verses 4 through 10. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. In case you do not understand, the house of the Lord is the temple that is in Judah in Jerusalem. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. Note here, he says, to go out throughout all of Israel. Not just in Judah, not just in Benjamin, because there were people in the northern area who did still seek after the Lord. 
Regardless of how evil the times are, there's always a godly remnant. Verse 6. So the king called Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked women, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dead... uh, presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. When it says the children, <clears throat> excuse me, the children of Athaliah, the sons of Athaliah, probably not talking of her physical sons, but probably talking of those who were like-minded, those whom she birthed into this false theology or this uh, idolatry. Then, at the king's command, verse 8, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. This would be the first agape box. You know, Sean says, if you want to honor the Lord in your giving tonight, we're not taking a collection, but we have an agape box. We have a box there for you to put in your, your givings to the Lord. It says in verse 9, and they made a proclamation throughout all of Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced brought their contributions and put them into the chest until all had given. The condition of the temple, because the temple was the dwelling place of God. In the Jewish mind, this is the place where God lives. And so the condition of the temple was a picture of the state of the people's relationship with the Lord. And so if you really believe that this is the place that God lives, the temple, and you really believe when you go there that you're being met by God, and that you're offering your sacrifice there so that your sins would be covered, wouldn't that kind of be a special place? Wouldn't that be the reflection of your heart with God? Or if you didn't really believe it, you really wouldn't put much towards it, much effort towards it. Or if you just didn't believe it at all, then you would completely neglect it. And so the spiritually run-down state of the nation is reflected in the condition of the temple. That wicked queen, she influenced many for idolatry. But again, God's doing a new thing, as God does very often. There's always an opportunity to repent and move in God's direction. And through this king, they turn their affections back to the Lord. Again, it's the essence of giving towards what God is doing. We give to God because of the affections of our heart. Because, I, my prayer is, if you give at this church, the reason that you give at this church is because you believe that the word of God is going out, you believe that God is doing a work through this church, and part of you entering into what God does is, is our giving. My check, my paycheck comes from the church. And my wife and I, we give 10% back to the church. We tithe back to the church. Because although I give of my efforts, many people in this church give of their efforts. They're not able to be here full-time, but we have a lot of people that have full-time jobs and still give a lot of time here to the church, and plus they give to the church, so how much more so should not everybody give to the church, starting with the pastor and working through to the body of Christ, if you truly respect the work that is going on here? If you don't respect the work that is going on at this church, you really need to find a church that you do respect the work that is going on and give towards that work. But bottom line is, it's all about the Lord. And so God met Moses, and they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. 
Now the tabernacle, just think of it this way, that was a portable um, temple. As Israel was wandering through the wilderness, that was to be the place where God dwelt. So as Moses got all the things together for the tabernacle, he constructed it, and the glory of God filled it. And so they knew the presence of God was in there. And then came time to move, and the glory of God would depart and would hover over either in a pillar of fire or cloud, and they would disassemble the tabernacle, and then it would start moving, and they would go as far as it would go, and finally when it would stop, they would reassemble the tabernacle, and the glory would once again fill it. And that's how Israel followed the Lord all throughout the wilderness. Well, when it was time to build that, in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 2, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Who is he to get it from? It says, From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Don't go there and make people feel guilty. Don't go bending arms. Don't get your hand in their pocket. Just present the opportunity. As you present the opportunity, this is going to be people who have a heart for God to dwell with them. And if nobody gave, then there never would have been the tabernacle and God would not have dwelt with his people. These were people who had been delivered from Egypt. God did so with a mighty hand. They understood the magnitude of what God had done for them. He met them in a hopeless and helpless situation. And now that they have this opportunity to have God physically dwelling amongst them, they gave towards that. Matter of fact, they gave to such a degree that finally Moses had to tell them, that's enough, stop giving. We have enough for this project. And then when it came time for the original temple, the the people no longer wandering through the wilderness, now into the promised land, God had commanded them, long story short, to build the temple, God's permanent dwelling place in Israel, to build it in Jerusalem. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 3, verse 6, and verse 9, this is King David's day. He didn't get to build it, but he collected the materials. And so David said, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver. Then it says in verse 6, we see the example that he set. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. He didn't tell them they had to do it, but because they were in it with David, they wanted to see God glorified and dwelling amongst them, they gave. And then in verse 9, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Now as for us today, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, what is it that you treasure? Well, things that are important to you, you put your finances towards. And so, how, to what degree do you treasure the work of the Lord? Whatever that is, and that's between you and God, but that will be reflected in your giving. Verses 13 and 14 <clears throat> So the workmen labored, so they've gotten all of the the finances in, and now they've gotten the people, we 
told about that in verses 11 through 12. In verse 13, so the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made... They made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. There's that term again. Not all the days of the king, Joash, but all the days of Jehoiada. Now, why was the house of God in such ill repair? And why, maybe even more importantly, why did the articles of the temple, those articles of service, why did they need to be replaced? That tells me they were there at one time. There was a lot of gold and a lot of silver there. And now they need to be replaced? Well, it's a testimony to the lack of trust in God by previous kings. Remember Jehoshaphat? There was the northern kingdom of Israel came up against him. And actually it was King Esau. The, the northern kingdom had come up against him And he didn't know what to do. And so what he did was he talked to the king of Syria rather than talking to the king of kings, and he paid them off. He paid the king of Syria to come and to attack the northern kingdom to take the pressure off of him. And so instead of trusting in God, he pilfered God's house and the things of the service of the Lord. Now, what's the problem with that? All of those things were rendering service. They were used in service for the purpose of, uh, of covering sin. And what happens when you, when you take those things and you do away with those things? Your relationship with God is, is hurt. And so it was a testimony of a lack of trust in what God was able to do. They used these things to protect themselves from invasion. So... Again, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, they should have trusted in the Lord with all of their hearts. They should have trusted in the Lord based upon God's promises given to us in his word. And lean not on their own understanding, not their own intellect, or how they think things should be. In all their ways, they should have acknowledged him. They should have given their lives to him and set their affections upon him. And it says, and he shall direct your paths. He shall watch over you, and he shall keep you. And so... It's here in verses 15 and 16 that we see a great turning point in Joash's life and really even in the nation. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David amongst the kings. It shows you the great respect that they had for this priest because he had done good in Israel both towards God and his house. So now looking at uh, Joash... He did well, but now he's going to fail. And the dominoes, the dominoes start falling one by one by one. The first thing we see is, is the pagan counsel that he sought. Pagan or godless counsel, verses 17 through 19. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down before the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. The trespass is a willful sin. They knew that was wrong and they did it anyway. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord and they testified against them but they would not listen. And so these men who were influenced by paganism, well, Joash did well when he took godly advice, 
but now he's taken godless advice. And so what does God do? Well, he already has God's word, but he's chosen to ignore that. What does God do when God's people ignore his word? Well, we see, especially in the Old Testament, he raises his voice. How does he raise his voice? He raises his voice by sending a prophet to overcome the pagan. Verses 19 through 20, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but he would not listen. Then, so he sent multiple prophets, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. And so he always had great respect for Jehoiada. Now, now here's his son. God's increasing his voice even louder, if you will. Uh, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. Verses 21 and 22. So they conspired against him at the command of the king. They stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, his father, the main influence in his life, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. And so... What are they killing off? Well, who's the prophet? The prophet is the one who speaks the word of God. Joash is in sin. What's the word of God doing? It's convicting him of his sin. What do people do when they have no no intent of repenting? They kill off the source of God's voice. And that's what he's doing. He doesn't want to hear it. He knows he's a sin, but doesn't want to admit it. And now here comes this man, Zechariah, probably somebody he was even raised with very well could have known this young man all of his life. And, and he just was in such conviction of his sin, he had the man put to death. And so what does God do? God raises his voice another notch. And so God raises his voice by sending Syria, verses 23 through 24. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria, Syria came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from amongst the people and sent all of their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers and they executed judgment against Joash. So Joash probably wasn't really concerned about this small contingent or the small army coming from Syria, were greater than they are. But the problem was he had forsaken the Lord, so the Lord had forsaken him, and God had allowed the smaller force to be able to overcome the bigger force. And so each step here, each step of regression, there's the opportunity to repent. There's always the opportunity to repent. But Joash never took that. God, he, he understood what was right, God raised his voice by sending the prophet, and he killed that off. Now God raised his voice even so much more by sending Syria. But as we close out this chapter, once again, we see the wages of sin. Verse 25. And when they had withdrawn from him, when Syria had gone back with the spoil, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. 
See, the problem is he's going after the flesh. He was influenced by those pagan leaders, but there's still a godly remnant. And these men are understanding, look what has come upon us because this king sought after pagan means, because he forsook the Lord. And they realized that this man had great responsibility, but he had refused the Lord. Their mindset is, before we lose our sons, our lives, before we lose our livelihood, we have to act. And God used that. And this man, this man who sinned greatly against God, he's died now. Verse 26. These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabab, the son of Shemaeth, the Ammonitus, and Jehozabab, the son of Shimrith, of the Moabitus. Now concerning the sons and the many oracles about his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed they are written in the annuals of the book of the kings, then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Joash, he was raised from a young age, from seven years old. He had such a great influence in this man Jehoiada, but unfortunately he just didn't finish well. He didn't finish well. He didn't continue to seek after the Lord during those days. This man Jehoiada was so instrumental in, in the blessings that were bestowed upon, upon Jerusalem and upon Judah. And again, we need to carry this through into our lives. We're not going to be around in those whom God has given us influence, but also in our own lives We need to foster a strong walk in the Lord that, yeah, we're going to be influenced by so many, but never does our relationship with Jesus Christ depend upon any man or any woman. Our God, our God is a very personal God. So in times of prosperity, in times of need, our God still needs to reign within our life as God supreme over all. It's that relationship that it's essential that we develop. And again, these things that we're talking about, blessed are we if we do these things. And that's what God is desirous. Joash, he, he, he wasn't obedient to the Lord. And we see the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. And the bad part about his death, he left such a bad testimony that could have been so good. Again, when he started out, verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but just all of the days of Jehoiada, the priest. The prayer is, is that I, that we, we would finish well, not based upon our relationship with anybody else, but our relationship with God. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you give us these vivid lessons. And these lessons are lessons in righteousness, what you expect from your people. And so, Father, I just pray that we would be dependent upon you, that we have that opportunity. We need no other intercessor, that we have that opportunity to come before our throne through the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can offer up prayers and we can offer up praises, that we can worship before your feet, God, and that we have that opportunity to hear back from you. We don't need anybody in between, that, Lord, this is a personal relationship with you. And I pray that we would foster that, that we would strengthen it, and that we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. And as we do, Lord, that we would move forward in a life that is obedient, and that we would move forward in the strength of your spirit. 
And so, Lord, I lift up those who have come out tonight, and I pray once more that you would watch over and keep us in this coming week. I pray that we would travel safely even tonight. And that, Father, all that we do, Lord, I pray that we would do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things Sean mentioned in the bulletin, but I'll just reiterate. Women's Retreat is coming up. We're taking sign-ups. I think my wife said we got six sign-ups today. We just started today. She addressed the ladies this morning. Um, Teacher training is at the end of the month. If you want to be, if you've ever thought about children's ministry, that would be a good opportunity. Or if you are currently in children's ministry, it would be a good opportunity to check children's ministry out. And then lastly, I'm planning on doing a question and answer night. I don't have a whole lot of questions yet, so I'm going to wait till I have enough to do a whole service. And so if you've ever had any questions that you were wondering, biblical questions that you were wondering about, just write it down on the bulletin and put it in the agape box back there, and I'll get them on the list, and we'll spend a service asking them. If I don't get enough for a whole service, I'll probably divide them up and just answer them before services start. But either way, if you have any questions, it would be a blessing to be able to share them with the congregation, because if you have a question, there's going to be other people that have questions. God bless you guys. Have a great week.